As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Rachel Dolezal, and I just wanted to let you know that my book, In Full Color, has been selected for the Amazon Kindle monthly deal for March. So pick this up on Kindle for $4.99 throughout March. And you can also get a signed copy of the hardcover book at my website, racheldolezal.com. I will personalize a little message to you and autograph it and send it on its way. So it's at retail price, $24.99 on my website, signed. Or on Kindle, you can get it for $4.99. Hi, uh, this is Richard Kinky Big Dick Friedman. It's my full Christian name. And uh, you are listening to the podcast Fascination Street. I believe that everybody has a story. And I'm fascinated to hear them. So come with me as we take a walk down Fascination Street. Welcome back, Streetwalkers. This episode is with Phil Verone. Phil Verone had huge success as the drummer for Saigon Kick. He was the drummer for Skid Row for five years. He toured with Vince Neil and a whole bunch of other stuff. You may know him from TV shows such as Sex Rehab with Dr. Drew. Heck, you may even know him from his 2010 December Playgirl Centerfold. And of course, we talk about all that stuff. We talk about what inspired him to become a drummer. Some of the cool stuff he's been able to do because he's a drummer. And we talk about his new band, Panic Boom. They have a new single out right now called Revolution, which I do play in this episode. And they've got a whole album worth of more material that they're going to release single by single on Bandcamp and PanicBoomBand.com. So if you like that song... Go check out the rest of their stuff. Buy it, love it, spread it. And then toward the end of the episode, we talk about a documentary that Phil's working on called 30 Years a Drummer, which, as you guessed it, chronicles his life as a drummer for 30 years. This sounds like a wildly intriguing project. I can't wait to see it myself when it comes out later this year. And I think you guys will like it too. This episode goes all over the place. This may be the most explicit episode we've had so far. 
with references like his Playgirl centerfold shoot and his line of sex toys and things of that nature, you can imagine it gets pretty explicit at times. But it's a lot of fun. There's laughs to be had all up and down this thing. And this is my conversation with superstar drummer, Playgirl centerfold, documentary filmmaker, drummer to the stars, Phil Verone. Welcome to Fascination Street Podcast, Phil Verone. How are you doing today, man? I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It is 100% my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Phil Verone. You know him from Saigon Kick, a brief stint with Skid Row, and on tour with Vince Neil. You also may know him from some other things, which we might get to, but he is part of a new band called Panic Boom, and we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. Phil, what I like to do is I like to help my audience understand the guest by helping us understand how you got to where you are. So yeah. we do that from where were you born and raised, man? Where would you grow up? Oh, man, I was born in uh, Long Island, New York. And oh. uh, All right. Well, this is over. That's it. That's it. Well, that's enough. You're not that fascinating. Go <laughs> Long Island. This is Fascination <laughs> Street. Come on now. Come on. I was born back in 19 ba 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 boom, as they say, mm -hmm. in the 60s. Grew up in uh, Long Island basically till I was about 12, then moved to South Florida because I'm Italian and we're predisposed. We end up in South Florida, whether we like it or not. I thought only the Jewish people did that. Is it the Italians too? It's the same thing. We, we share that. So Jewish or Italian, you're going to end up in Florida. That's the way it goes if you're a New Yorker. But that's, uh, that's yeah, that's where I grew up. Lived in Florida for most of my life to Los Angeles and now here in sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, so everybody will notice that he did not say Florida. He said Florida. Florida. And I'm guessing that's an East Coast thing or is it specifically people from Florida who say Florida? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's East Coast because I remember I was watching uh, Donnie Brasco, Al Pacino's character lefty he always said florida you know like that and i was like yeah, i guess we say it that way yes you do i guess is it florida uh -huh. is that how you would say oh, uh -huh. orange oranges yeah you don't say oranges we say orange it's an orange oh yeah. lord <laughs> when saigon kick we had um, a couple of crew guys from boston love them to death they're like our best friends and they could not say ours so we'd make them say like starving marvin you know like he couldn't say it it was just with their boston accent we died you know so i guess it's the same you know everybody makes fun of everybody with that stuff yeah uh your friends would they say they're gonna pack the car he was talking about a guy's testicles and he goes yeah dude uh my friend got his bag pierced dude it's wicked weak and i go his bag pierced what the hell are you even talking about now it's that language but yeah he was a pocket car and ungodly amounts of garlic bread stuff like that it was very fun they're good guys we could not say starving marvin or garden hose we made him say garden hose i mean that's what we do on the road if you want to be in a rock band that's what you do you just try to talk in different accents when you're downtime well let's talk about being in a rock band so you're growing up in long island the yeah. worst of all the boroughs <laughs> totally kidding <laughs> <laughs> I'm from San Antonio, so I don't even want to. Hey, I don't, I don't hey. have a preferred borough. So you're growing up in Long Island and you moved to Florida when you're around 12 or so. I'm assuming yeah. that it's not because you got a great job. Let's just assume your parents moved you. 
Yeah. <laughs> I ran away from home, actually. That was nice. a, a sad story. Oh, well, cool. Let, let's skip over the sad story. <laughs> <laughs> so your parents got a divorce and one of them went to Florida? <laughs> Basically, it was terrible. My mom wanted to follow up my grandparents because they are older Italian. So they got there first, of course. And then we uh, followed suit. So we ended up there in uh, 1980, actually. It was a good year, the start of that decade. So there's a difference between, you know, hey, I like listening to the radios and the doo-wops and yeah. thinking, you know what? I've got something in me that, that has to come out musically. When did you decide that you had something in you that had to come out musically? Not till later, later on. I mean, I played in the grade school orchestra. They had a program when I was in the fourth grade and they came around and said, does anybody want to be in the orchestra? And I said, sure, I'll try music. But I wanted to be a trumpet player because I figured trumpet players got all the chicks. That was my whole reasoning in fourth grade. That's what I was thinking. That should tell you. Maybe in Long Island. Maybe. Possibly. I think in Long Island specifically. It's in the rule book now. I've heard it a lot in <laughs> Long Island and some parts of Philadelphia. Some parts. And I think in Pittsburgh as well. I could not play the trumpet because I had an issue with my ears and the pressure of I it. I think you're playing it wrong. You're supposed <laughs> to use your mouth. You know, there. damn, if I would have only known, I trust me, it wasn't in my mouth. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so I decided to play percussion with earplugs. I had no desire to be in bands or anything. And I was in, I think it was 10th grade. I had a drum set when I was in New York, but when we moved, I left it in New York with my cousin, but I still own it today, 45 years later. You still have the same drum set? I do. Absolutely. Is it still yeah, at your cousin's house or you have it now? No, it's a, it's actually at my sister's house in Florida. Oh my God. So my, sister's, my sister's in Florida. <laughs> it's going to be a project of mine to refurbish it and put it in my studio in the house. But yeah, I wanted to be a golf pro after that. Uh, I was doing architecture and I was on the golf team in high school. And uh, this guy came over to me, Tom Reinhardt, who's still my friend today. And I was afraid of him. I thought he was going to beat me up because I was delicate. Uh, yeah. Hello. You're on the golf team. Uh, everybody should have beat you up. That's what I'm saying. Which, by the way, does not get you chicks. What? No, not the golf team. PGA Tour, maybe. Not the golf team. Well, you should have tried the chess club. Wait a minute. Yeah. They get all the chicks. That's what I heard. <laughs> this whole checkmate thing is a whole perverted. I don't even want to get into it. I did some research. Ow, united my bishop. <laughs> wow. That sounds like a Tuesday at my house. We're getting <laughs> off track, though. Yeah, he came over to me and said, hey, I heard you play drums. And in lieu of getting beat up, I said, yes, I did. But I don't anymore. I'm on the golf team. And he said, uh, let me come over and jam. He lived down the street from me, brought his guitar over. He played Crazy Train. I remember that. And I was playing pans, you know, and with wooden spoons, like the cliche drummer thing. But I really was. And that basically started something in my, you know, my brain. And little by little, I started buying more drums and my parents would buy me a drum here and drum there. I had a mixed match of drums. I went into a band in 83 with a guy named Tony Cortese, who is in Panic Boom today. Oh, shit. He's my friend. Yeah. A lifetime friend. That was my first real band. And I could tell you the moment that I wanted to do this for sure. MTV came on in the 80s, as we know. But 83 is when Motley Crue came out with a Looks to Kill video. And I was in rehearsal with this band with Tony Cortese and he, he was very well off. They had one of those giant screen televisions that were as, as thick as it was high. Those really bad projection televisions. Yeah. But that was like the technology back then. Sure. 
So I walked out into the living room and on that screen was Looks That Kill. For the first time I saw it. The video. The video. And I saw Tommy Lee and I, I was like, that's what I need to be. And that changed everything. The golf practice got in the way of band practice and I just put everything I could. And we did a talent show at the high school and everybody treated me different after that. Really? Yeah, it was very rock star-ish. I was like, oh, I like this. This is kind of cool. Because up until then, I was like under the radar. I was tolerated. I didn't get beat up. I didn't get bullied that much. You know, just pushed around a little bit. And, and I, you know, I look like Freddie Prinze with a bad mustache. Junior or senior? The hell with that junior. The OG. The real guy. <laughs> All right, cool. You know, come on, you know. <laughs> That's why I was confused. Yeah, yeah. I was more Tony Orlando-ish, too. Had the good feathers going. Oh, okay, cool. No, that's great. You know, I was doing pretty good. I can't imagine that you didn't get picked on more. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. (laughs) So I ended up doing their homework, so I didn't get beat up. Oh, sure, yeah. Look, you got to survive, right? But as soon as I played that show, we played Metal Health by Quiet Riot at the talent show. Good Lord. Yeah, they treated me a lot different. It was kind of like, all right, this guy is kind of cool now. And everybody signed my yearbook. Can't wait to see you on MTV. I hope I get backstage passes, you know, and all of that came true. So it's actually kind of cool. My 10 year reunion was a hoot because I had a number one video on MTV and a number eight in the country. And every girl that wouldn't have sex with me wanted to at that point. So that was a lot of fun. I didn't act on it. Of course, I had a wife, but she did bang them. She banged them, not me. Oh, well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So either way, it worked out is my whole point. (laughs) I'm assuming that when your 10-year reunion rolled around and you had the number one video, that was with Saigon Kick? It was. Saigon Kick, right. And the name of that song was? Love is on the Way, as we called it, Lunch is on the Way. That was off the Lizard record, our second record, which is actually right behind me. I'm going to segue real quick. But the Lizard record is behind me right now because they reissued all of our catalog on vinyl. Oh, shit. Yeah, so if you're a Saigon Kick fan, you can get it on vinyl. The next record is July 8th, and that'll be the Water record, which was our third studio album. And that's going to be a double record. So we're actually working on it now, which is kind of fun because we're going to go back to like nostalgia days where you can open up a record and read the liner notes and find out, you know, like and really get to know the band. So we're going to put that kind of stuff in there for the fans. So we're actually looking forward to that. How cool is that? Yeah, really, and this is the first time I've had it on vinyl. The record company sent it to me. The Lizard record is a green record. Mm-hmm. The first record is a white one. I don't know what color they're going to make the next one, but this is the first time I've owned my own record on vinyl. So it's actually kind of cool. I'm going to crank it up on the record player and see what happens. That's super rad. I have yeah. to imagine that, you know, opening that up, and I'm assuming there's a little bit of remastering going on with that, but yeah, cracking open some of those songs that you might not have, I have no idea about your sexual proclivities, but you might not <laughs> have heard these songs in, you know, 15, 20 years, some of them. 30, actually. The first record came out 30 years ago. So it's actually pretty interesting to go back. On occasion, I'll go back and listen to stuff that I've done, but it's actually kind of fun. It also can't believe 30 years has passed. It seems, you know, we're still 18 in the head, you know, in our brains. Yeah, for sure. 30 years later, it's pretty crazy. So I'm assuming that the rest of Saigon Kick is all part of this venture as well, right? Y'all all got together to do this? Well, the first two records was a different configuration. Sure. Our first singer was Matt Kramer, and they put those records out. But this third record is when Matt Kramer had left the band. So there's three of us left. And yes, the three of us are collaborating and putting out the next two records, which were the three-piece band. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, 
little nostalgia. It's our history. You know, it, it's it's the legacy. So it's something that no matter what has happened in the band, it's important that we preserve that. And it was a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, my kids get it after I'm gone. It moves on to them with royalties and all that stuff. So it's it's important that we preserve this stuff. Well, that really sucks because I was going to ask if you'd skip the kids and just send it on to me. <laughs> but I guess not. If you can negotiate that with my daughter, okay. then good luck. All right, cool. If she's a litigator, she'll get you. Oh, so. yeah. All right. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can go to find the vinyl copies of these albums. And you said the next one's coming out in July. The label, I think it's called Go Gone. It's an Atlantic subsidiary. So if you go to Atlantic Records or Warner or just Google Saigon Kick Vinyl, because I really don't know where they're selling them, to be quite honest with you. Sure. They sent me those in the mail, I guess, because I'm in the band and I have perks. Oh, weird. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Some, I got connects. That's kick ass, dude. I'm so happy for you. Oh, thanks. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. And what a cool blast from the past. Like for you personally to just, holy shit, look, there's my record. That's so dope. Yeah, I think it's amazing because it's like my whole childhood is was listening to records eight tracks to start but i mean we went to vinyl and that's your dream is to have your own vinyl i mean when if you want to be a rock star it's like it's your record digital stuff is great but holding your own record that's a lot of fun so yeah it's, it's been pretty fun that way and i'm looking forward to the next ones coming out yeah i bet fucking rad your first big hit with saigon kick again was Love is on the way. Love is on the way. Now, that was a huge smash hit. Number one, number eight, all the things. Right. You paid you all the money and you never had to work again. And then you became a professional golfer. Now, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. That's the screenplay. That is, yeah, that is a screenplay. Feel free to say no and I'll cut this out. But just to kind of inform the listeners, can I play that song on this podcast? Oh, sure. Absolutely. All right, cool. Do you want to intro it like you're a radio DJ? Ladies and gentlemen, it's from Saigon Kick. You're going to hear a number eight smash in the country in 1992 featuring Phil Verone on drums. And he isn't playing drums, actually, because there's no drums on this song. But he crescendos to number eight and he makes the girls cry. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Saigon Kicks. Love is on the way. (laughs) That's fantastic. Thank you. 
I can crescendo with the best of them. I can crescendo. Don't even get me started on. I can make the girls cry with a good cymbal swell <laughs> and being naked, but that's a whole nother story. Yes. We're not going to get into a whole lot of you being naked, but real quick, let's take a hard left turn into <laughs> December, 2010. I've been naked enough. <laughs> a little birdie once told me that you Phil Verone were the centerfold in December, 2010's Playgirl magazine. I was. You can call me Mr. December from this point forward, if you'd like. Mr. December. I was. I hung the salami for the playgirl. It was a blast. I look at life this way. First of all, my kids knew I was doing all this stuff. So it's like, I think first and foremost is that if you have family and stuff, you talk to them. You don't want to all of a sudden, oh, by the way, daddy's dick is on the internet. How old were your kids at this time? How many years ago? Is that 11? Yeah. They, uh, they were, uh, my daughter was 16, 17, I guess. My son was probably 12 around then. Okay. So for your daughter, that has to be the absolute 100% worst age for this event. Yes. Or my, you asked my sister, because my sister is five years younger than me. So, you know, her friends were going a little crazy. Yeah. Either way. But uh, let me say this. I was raised in my house nudity, none of that stuff really was shamed on. I talked to my parents about everything as I do with my kids. We talked about sex. We talked about those things. We never shied away from anything. So nudity was, you know, who gives a crap? No one cared. It was more of just letting them know what was going on. I mean, America takes nudity like, oh, everything's pornography, but it's not, you know, a naked body is beautiful. It's not pornography. Yeah. We put a lot of weird energy behind a bunch of weird shit. Whether it's right, eating right. or nudity or, or right. whatever, we put weird energy on stuff that, that right. it doesn't earn it. It's We just do it. So you weren't raised that way. No, not at all. I mean, I think 
Well, there's nothing embarrassing about nudity or sex or anything like that. I, I, I have full conversations with my kids to this day because I had those conversations with my father, you know, or my mother. I, I know it sounds weird, but it's like if I was going to have sex, I wanted to know from the wizard, the man with all the, the knowledge on how to do it. You know, I don't want to practice and learn because it could be wrong or I could get someone pregnant or, you know, you never know. And there's nothing wrong with going, hey, you know, this is how you do this and and be respectful. And, and it's about respect. That's how I was brought up. So when it came to all this stuff, yeah, I mean, it might be shocking to others, but to me, it was yeah, no big deal. You know, I'll swing the salami, have some fun. And that's what it was. It was a lot of fun. It was an experience because life is short as we go through this pandemic and we're losing friends and, and family that we didn't think we would lose so suddenly. My mother passed away in 98 from a brain aneurysm. And I always said she never lived things. She was scared of flying. She was scared of this. And at that point, I'm like, I'm going to do everything I want to do. Because when you're on the deathbed, and it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 30 years from now, we don't know. That's the one thing that's out of our hands. So why not experience life and have a good time and not offend people or hurt people, but you do it in things for yourself. And I've experienced so many things because of that. Playgirl was one of them. I said, why not? I saw Pete Steele in Playgirl. Uh, and I was like, I'd like to do that. That looks fun. You know, like, why not? Who cares? It's it's such a rock star thing. And and I was the first rock star centerfold. Pete Steele wasn't a centerfold. He was a feature. He was a singer from Typo Negative. It was fun to be Mr. December. And I had a rock photographer shooting it who never shot Playgirl before or nude guys. So it was really funny. And he's like amazing photographer. So we had a blast going around New York for two days. And I, you know, got to take my dick out everywhere and took some pictures and it was fun. It was really fun, actually. Who reached out to who? Did you reach out to Playgirl or did Playgirl reach out to you? My publicist knew somebody at Playgirl, but I had just, I was on the um, the celebrity rehab show with Dr. Drew. So I was on television at the time. My publicist, Barbara, who's still my publicist today, she's wonderful. She has seen more. <laughs> I love her. She has seen everything. But she reached out and yeah, and we got the deal done. And it was a blast. I think the same time I was in New York doing that, we did um, celebrity ghost stories as well. It was like, this is like a cool time. We just did everything. Yeah, I had a blast. They actually sent me a thousand magazines. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. I thought they were going to send like a hundred just to hand out the friends because a lot of the fans wanted signed copies. Sure. I still have them. Like, it's hilarious. I, I threw out probably like two, 300 of them because I'm like, oh. what am I going to do with all these magazines? You know, uh, sign them and sell them on your website. Maybe that's it. Now that it's 10 years later, I could probably sell them again to a different generation. Exactly. That are 18 now, like the daughters of my fans. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. But we give them out as gifts to shock people for like Christmas, stuff like that. Cool. I'll text you my address. Yes, you'll be getting one in the mail. Don't worry about that. Thanks. Can't wait. The centerfold says the stockings aren't the only thing hung. <laughs> That's fucking fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's worth it just to have the magazine for comedy. Hey, Streetwalkers. Here's a word from our sponsors. So I ran into previous guest of this show, Chris Gronkowski, the other day, and it went a little something like this. Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. Hey, you know what sucks? When I get done with my workout at the gym, my protein shake's not cold anymore, man. It's room temperature. Weird. I haven't run into you at the gym lately. Busted. Okay, truth be told, I don't work out. But I do get thirsty after a long day of podcasting. I just can't seem to keep my cocktails cold. You should use an ice shaker. What's an ice shaker? 
Thigh Shaker is a double wall, vacuum insulated stainless steel shaker bottle with a patented twist and agitator that breaks up the protein powders. So you're saying I should switch to an ice shaker, take out the agitator so I can fit more ice in the cup and it'll stay cold longer? Steve, you don't need more ice. The ice shaker is third-party tested and verified to keep your drink cold for 30 plus hours. Chris, you're a genius. I'll still remove the patented screw and agitator and just add more booze. I guess technically you could, but if you actually use the ice shaker as a protein drink cup, the agitator breaks up the powder and doesn't bounce around like you're shaking a paint can. Why are we still talking? Let's party. Grog style! That's right, Streetwalkers. Ice Shaker is the new sponsor at Fascination Street Podcast. Ice Shaker is made from kitchen-grade stainless steel so it doesn't smell all funky after you use it a couple of times like those cheap plastic ones. When I'm out and about doing interviews or partying Gronk style, I use the Fascination Street Podcast Edition 26-ounce Flex Ice Shaker Cup and it keeps my drink cold until the sun comes up. You saw Ice Shaker on Shark Tank. All five sharks made an offer with Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez closing the deal. Now you can get a deal too. Order your own 26-ounce Flex Cup right now at IceShaker.com and use the promo code FSP for $5 off your first order. Once again, that's IceShaker.com, promo code FSP, as in Fascination Street Pod, for $5 off your first order. That's IceShaker.com, promo code FSP. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. Now, you brought up Sex Rehab with Dr. Drew, and that's funny because I reached out to previous guest of my show, Dr. Drew, and I said, hey, guess what? I'm going to have Phil on my show. And he said, quote, oh, my God, Phil is the best. Please send him my regards. Really, really good guy. So my question is, what the hell did you do to make Drew like you so much? (laughs) Drew is an absolute wonderful human. Dude's a gem. He is in, in a world of crazy and people that you don't trust. Drew is just solid, man. I can't say enough about him. He's, he's a wonderful, wonderful human. I love him to death and I loved what he did for me. He protected us on that show. 
And there was a time where producers wanted to kind of throw a wrench in things and go for ratings. And Drew was like, nope, we're not going to let that happen and left everything up to us. And I thought that was really special. And I, and I have great respect for the man. Plus, Drew is so down to earth, as you know. I mean, the guy is just so solid. But we were shooting on the beach, right? So the producer thought, let's put them on the beach. And we're going to put a fake volleyball game behind them with all these girls in bikinis, right? And let's see if we could trigger them. And I'm sitting there going, the girls on the cast were in bikinis in front of me. I'm like, that's the problem. Not the, I don't even see the game behind me. But Drew is loved by people. He was getting catcalled by girls. I mean, it was hilarious, you know, and he's so nice and he's so generous with his time. He was wonderful. It was a great time. And then after that, I had some friends of mine that needed help to go to rehab and he was there for me and took care of them as well. I'll forever be grateful for that. Just a wonderful guy. Fantastic. That is good to hear. Always good to hear wonderful Dr. Drew stories. He's always been good to me as well. And please, when you talk to him, please send him my love for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Moving on from sex rehab and Playgirl. Man, I'll tell you what, you got a hell of a history behind you, bro. (laughs) Real quick. (laughs) I just want to touch on this. Is there a line of Phil Verone sex toys? Well, there was, yeah. I'll tell you how bad it is when your dildo that was molded from your penis gets discontinued. That hurts. Again, this is all at the same time. You said it hurts when it gets discontinued. Huggy Bear told me that this dildo that was molded after your salami was also pierced. It was, yeah. What hurt more, getting it pierced or having your dildo discontinued? Well, let me just say this. My dildo was pierced and you can also get the uh, direct TV on it, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> no, the piercing did not hurt. Being discontinued is a little shot to the ego that I have to say. But again, I look at things in life as you know experiences and the people at Cal Exotic were wonderful and still are. And they gave me a shot and you know, my penis did not do the numbers that they thought it would. I think I did more numbers as a human than I did as my, my penis cell. But there was some funny moments. I mean, I think that, you know, when you do a meet and greet in the sex shop and uh, people come over to you and hand you your penis to sign, I thought that was very funny. Now that kind of meet and greet is spelled different. Yeah, it's a new meaning to meet and greet. I think my favorite, though, was I was going through the airport. I was going to do some meet and greet, I think, in Florida. I was in the airport and I brought with me my carry-on, was a regular size carry-on. You know, it had dildos. It had my Playgirl. It had all my sex toys, right? And Playgirls. I was going to, you know, to sign them, like sell them merch. So it goes through the x-ray machine. And of course, they stop it. What? Why? Because it's like, you know, what is this, you know, a bunch of... What is that, a bag full of dicks? <laughs> is that handguns or dicks? What is this? Is this James Bond? Who's coming through here? The lady, this beautiful, wonderful, and I, I'm saying African-American woman because you'll understand why. Because I'm white. African-American men are notorious for having huge dongs, right? Okay. So any African-American women look at me like with suspect, like... Yeah. Okay. Like, why were you in Playgirl? You know, no white man's got a big dick, whatever. So she opens this bag and on top is the Playgirl and she picks it up and she looks at the Playgirl and looks at me on the cover of it. And then she like opens it out of curiosity, goes to the centerfold and then looks up at me and it gives me a smile and just puts it back in, closes, zips it up. She's like, okay, there you go. Have a good day. And I was like, all right, one for me. What? No phone number? 
No, that was, I think it was the flight attendant, I think. I don't remember. But nonetheless, look, if you're going to carry on a suitcase full of dildos, you know, expect to be stopped. I mean, that's going to happen. I think that's in the FAA rule book. Yeah. So when they're yours, it's even funnier. But everybody got a good laugh. At that day, I could have probably put two kilos of blow underneath it because everyone was just laughing. They wouldn't give a crap anyways. But it was a lot of fun. I just like when they, they kind of give you the nod, ladies, when they're like, okay. We used to do that when we were on tour. We'd always stop at a Kmart or a Walmart, whatever, and we get stuff in the bunk. Bunk supplies include like buying sheets and ass wipes and condoms. So I got magnums, of course, because, you know, what else is going to do it? And the lady, again, another beautiful black girl is checking me out, not even looking at me, nothing, just down the line, ding, 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 comes to the box of magnums, clicks them and goes, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm, and just keeps on going, didn't believe it, you know, because I guess every guy buys magnums to kind of like, you know, perk up, but I had them hidden. It's not like something I show out. I had them hidden right behind the douche in the lawn chair. So I don't (laughs) think she saw any of that stuff. We're going to move on from all this sex stuff as much as it pains me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really not all that interested in why Saigon kick went away, but I am interested in how you ended up, I guess, temporarily being part of some of these other acts like Skid Row and Vince Neil. How did those things happen? Was it Craigslist? You're like, Hey, drummer for hire. Yeah, I was actually looking for uh, a massage, oh. and all of a sudden I found, yeah, so sure. Craigslist was really good to me. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, even though I got stabbed. Sure. Now, again, these are different. I'm making small talk now. Yeah, Rachel Bolin and I, who plays bass in Skid Row, we're good friends, and and at the time I was in a band called Prunella Scales, which was a punk band with Rachel Bolin, and we did a record for Warner, and we toured the U.S. and Japan, and then after that, I decided to buy a restaurant, which was the worst mistake of my life, and I lost everything because I didn't know what I was doing, but I thought I did, and after that, in 2000, Rach just called me and said, hey, we need a drummer. We're doing the Kiss tour. You want to come out? And I said, of course, are you kidding me? So I joined Skid Row and I was in that band for five years. So we did a record together. So when you joined Skid Row, you actually joined the band. You weren't just the touring drummer for a tour. You no, were no, in no. the band for five years. Yeah, five years. And we did a record. We, we recorded one uh, called Thick Skin, which is still one of my favorite records that I've recorded. Uh, we did it at Johnny Bon Jovi's house. and Johnny. Yeah, it was fun. It was just a really great experience. But during that time, when I was off, I played drums with Vince because one of the tours we did, Vince was on the bill and I got to know Vince very well. And I started dating one of his good friends and, you know, Vince and I spent Thanksgivings together and and stuff like that. So he gave me a call and goes, hey, man, I need a band for this run that I'm doing. And I threw a band together. And we went out there and had some fun with Vince, but I was in Skid Row at the time. I never, you know, I was just doing other stuff. Sure. And then um, in 2005 is when I left the music business, went to rehab, got cleaned up and all that fun stuff. And then I started doing a stand-up comedy acting and uh, eventually went into the rehab with Drew and then Playgirl, all that stuff until uh, 15 is when I started getting back into music again. Okay. So all actors and all comedians want to be rock stars yes and all rock stars want to be actors or comedians probably yes how did you know you could do it i know that you have no fear of performing you have no stage fright you have no fear of a lack of creativity so what made the transition from music to stand-up comedy work for you craig gas 
a really wonderful comic, very funny. He was on Howard Stern a couple of years back, and he used to do all the voices, Sam Kinison and uh, Al Pacino. He was a huge music fan, and he would come out on the road, and every time he came out to one of our shows, him and I would just start doing impressions and having a good time, just laughing. And he always told me, he goes, man, if you ever are in L.A. and you want to start stand up, let me know and I'll get you into some clubs so you can do stand up. And I was intrigued by it. It was a huge transition in the sense of your band isn't there to protect you. Right. Because as a drummer, it's like I'm protected. I'm in my office. I play drums well. You know, stand up. I didn't do well. It takes time. You have to put time into it, which I did. But what I did was I created a show called the Sex Stand Up and Rock and Roll Show. And I did this at the Improv bi-weekly. And it came to be such a huge success. And I did it for three years there that I kind of got my hosting chops down. So I knew I wasn't going to be a comedian in the word of comedians, because a comedian is a person that could stand there and do an hours of material and kill, you know, and that's a real comic. Well, I just wanted to test the waters. And when I first started my class of comics, it goes by that. Like, you know, who started the day that you started? Well, I started with Chris D'Elia, Whitney Cummings, Eliza Schlesinger, uh, Nick Swartz, and all those guys that are huge stars today. That's where you all started. And we used to run rooms together, just go around and do stand-up, and I would learn from them. So my sex stand-up and rock and roll show was such a hit because it was a variety show. I'm old school variety shows. I love the Mike Douglas show and they all sat around in a panel and just talked, you know, like I loved that vibe and I wanted to bring that. Plus I love the gong show, Chuck Barris. Like I loved that type of environment, just mayhem. And you just never know what's going to happen. So at the end of my shows, then I would play. So I'd bring my rock star friends up and we would jam, you know, two songs. This is in the improv. This is a comedy club that is not set up for music or anything. And it really took off to the point where all the comics in L.A., if they had a Tonight Show appearance or they were working on material for a special, would come to my room and it'd be a workout room for them. You know, like David Tell came in. And he goes, man, I got a special coming up. Can I do like 10? I'm like, yes, go ahead. Just And my show got that kind of reputation where you never knew who was going to show up. I had my idols showing up and it was really fun. But that's not something I wanted to do as a, like a comedian per se. I just wanted the hosting experience and to learn how to public speak. And that's what it did for me because it is frightening. I have my first five minutes ever on stage that went by like that. But I swear the walk to the stage took longer. It was like walking the plank. I was so nervous and I don't even remember it. It was crazy. And I just knew that I loved it, though, because that danger that you're going to bomb and you will bomb. There's no doubt you're going to bomb because I had no idea how to do comedy. None. Being funny with your friends makes not a comedian. You know what I'm saying? Like you really have to put the time in and get to understand how you're going to connect with people who had a completely different life than me. If I was in front of a bunch of touring musicians, I probably would kill. In fact, I did one show like that. That was just all musicians and they laughed. That was the biggest laughs I've ever got because they understood being on a tour bus. They understood I'm doing this material that people like, you know, it's like it would be like a, a scientist talking about building the space shuttle. And you're like, what, what are you even talking about? You know, I, I, don't, I can't relate to that. Later on, when I started talking about my Italian mother and making sauce and all these things, that's when it got funny. Like people really kind of, because everyone has a mom, everybody has made sauce. But at that point, I just took it for what it was and had great experience with it as a host. And that was fun. That's really what I got from it in public speaking, because I love to speak and, and help out. I like to host benefit stuff. And that's what I do today because of all that. 
not so much that particular show, but you do hosting and every once in a while you'll still get up maybe. Yeah. I don't get up and do comedy so much. I have a bag of bits, if you will. From a bag of dicks to a bag of bits. <laughs> a bag. Of, yeah. Actually, I opened up a chicken wing restaurant and the headline was drummer puts down drumsticks and picks up chicken wings or chicken, something like that. It was like the drumsticks, chicken wing cliche, which I thought was pretty funny. And also it was a small town. So I was, the, I was on the front page of news. So I should tell you how small the town was, but nonetheless, it was uh, another experience in life. Interesting. So you became friendly, I'm going to say friends with Vince Neal. Yeah. Can I assume that somehow or another in your illustrious career, you have had the opportunity to run across Tommy Lee? Oh yeah, absolutely. I know, I know Tommy. I'm always fascinated by the part where someone is influenced or inspired by a very specific person. And then later on, they get to not only meet that person, but meet that person having had the success that was inspired by that person, if that makes any sense. Yes. So what was your first interaction with Tommy Lee like? And what was his reaction when you told him that he was the reason that you became who you became? Let me set it up. It was actually really cool. We finished our first record. We did it in Los Angeles at Scream Studios. And Michael Wagner was the producer. That guy's hugely famous. Holy shit. That guy's amazing. Yeah, he's produced everything. And he was very good friends with all the Motley guys. And he knew you know, how much I loved Tommy Lee. So we're having a, an album listening party with all the record company and our friends and all that stuff. And my publicist at the time for Atlantic Records is calling me going, you need to get back to the studio. I'm like, yeah, I know it's for the party. I'm gonna, I'll be there shortly. I'm just, I was at the mall or whatever. They were just very like, you got to get back. You got to get back here. So I was like, all right, fine. So I get back to the studio. And as I'm walking up the studio driveway, I see a Ferrari. The license plate says rocking and rolling. And I go, no, it can't be. I was such a Motley fan. I knew what kind of car Tommy drove. I knew all those things. Then I walk in and the song on our first record called Susie is playing through the speakers and Tommy Lee is sitting in the corner playing air drums to it. And I almost shit myself. I got nervous and flustered and I ran into the other room. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, there he is. So I go in the other room and I, I was drinking back then. I down a couple of beers and my post was like, what's wrong with you? You're going to say hello. I was like, I can't. I, I don't even know what to say. I don't, I can't believe he's right there. So I get the nerve to go over to him. And um, I said, Tommy, I, I mean, I can't, I mean, you're the reason why I play today. I can't believe you're, you know, and he was so humble and wonderful. He was just so nice. You know, it was almost embarrassed by it, which is weird. But I understand now because when drummers say that to me, I'm just like, I'm just a dude that plays drums. I'm really, you know, you can't really put yourself as somebody's idol or influence because I'm just a guy that plays drums. I've always felt that way. I'm lucky that I got to play and I'm grateful. And yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Couldn't believe it, but I did. I got flustered. It was actually kind of funny. And in short time later, he's like, yeah, I got to go pick up my old lady. He was married to Heather at the time. And I'm like, old lady, you mean Heather? You know, like you're, you're a fan. I'm like, he just called Heather an old lady. You know, you kind of snicker. But yeah, he's he's been cool, cool as hell. You know, just a cool dude. It was a great, great experience. Hey, Streetwalkers. Here's a word from our sponsors. Now available wherever you buy audiobooks. Richard Stanley's Up On Game. From robbing banks to ruling his prison gang. Paco got spun out on meth one week and hit the yard with a box cutter in hand. 
He'd apparently been holding a grudge against some new guy. He was from the same car as Paco, but he seemed to prefer to stick to himself. The quiet new guy was in his late 50s and sported dark brown hair and a handlebar mustache. For whatever reason, Paco decided to allegedly target this obscure and solitary member of his car. They say the man lay there on his bunk, reading a book, when Paco came into the building. He made his way toward the man's bunk in meth-fueled haste. With his box cutter gripped in his right hand and meth making most of his decisions, at that point, Paco lunged into the man's bunk and began slicing away. And slicing and slicing. Defensive wounds were dug into his forearms and foot-long gashes were added to the quiet man's rib cage before Paco jumped off. Paco had sliced himself on his own left forearm during all the mayhem of his surprise visit with Mr. Obscure. Paco proceeded to haul ass out of there and headed back to his building. Delve into the true life story of Richard Stanley. Up on game, from robbing banks to stacking Bitcoin. And the sequel, Up on Game, When I Ruled the World. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. Now, you laid off the drums for a little bit, and then you got into golf. Yeah. Nerd. <laughs> if I remember correctly, Tommy Lee plays a lot of golf nowadays. He does, yeah. You guys play golf together? I have not. Or do you guys just race speedboats steering with your dick? That's what we do. We take dicks out. and we, Well, we play dick golf, actually. Oh, okay. That's cool. It, it's actually, uh, I pitch uh, grapes to him and he cracks them with his big dong. But uh, no, we haven't played golf yet. Although I saw Alice Cooper a few years ago, I was hosting a party. It was a pre-party for Alice who was playing in town and his son's band was playing this party and I was hosting it. Uh, it's the first time I met Alice Cooper. We just talked about golf the whole time. It was wonderful. And I love that because it was like the other day when I was talking with Ted Nugent and I go, hey, Ted, Uncle Ted, tell me about those Broncos. And he just pops up like, you know, it's like, yeah, you talk about music and you talk about all those things. But it's like when you really tap into someone's 
hobby or love like that, you just get to talk to them, you know, and just chill. And they're like normal humans because Alice is a giant star. And I was this close to playing with him at one point too, which was kind of cool. So it was actually, uh, it was just nice to be like two dudes talking about golf and not music per se. I always say this in a world that is crazy today, it's very noisy out there. We have an America that's divided and we're Americans. As Americans, we shouldn't be divided at each other. We should be Americans and we should protect our country. But when it's all said and done, even if we disagree about certain things, you always are going to find something that you agree upon. You're always going to find a middle ground, whether it's music or cars or something. So I always tell people, before you start yelling at someone, before you start telling them to go F themselves and go screw your mother, think about this for a second. Maybe you like the same band this person does. You know, maybe you like a cars or porn, whatever it is that is going to stop the hate and the anger. Try that. Okay. Let's talk about Panic Boom. I don't even know what that is. Oh, well, so <laughs> Panic Boom is this new band that you're in. Oh, thank you. Who else is in this band and uh, how long have you guys been together? We put the band together in 94. We have not been in a room together since 94. The guitar player in that band was in my first band from 83 that I did the talent show with. And everybody in the band are my my lifelong friends. Uh, Chris McLernan is the bass player who was in Saigon Kick with me. He's my bandmate from Saigon Kick. Sean Martin is the other guitar player. Randy Bates was a singer that had a band next to Saigon Kick in South Florida. And we've been friends ever since. These are all lifelong friends and brothers. We call ourselves the Hotel California of bands. I thought there was a Cort Cortesi or... Cort That's Tony, Cort Tony Cortesi. And he's in this band as well? He's my first band. The one, he owned the house that I saw Motley Crue in. That was that band practice. Right, okay. So Tony, yeah, I got Tony Cortesi, uh, Sean Martin, Randy Bates, and Chris McLernan and myself. So we wrote this song, Revolution, in 94. So it is 20-something years old. And we wrote it. It was the first one we wrote. It was relevant then as it is today. So we re-recorded it, and that's all we were going to do. Just re-record it for my documentary, and it kind of opened up the Pandora's box, and we started writing. So we have a full record out of it, basically. We wrote everything together, never got in a room together. We did everything over the internet with uh, you know Zoom and FaceTime, and we all have studios in our house. So we did everything like that. It's a lot of fun, and, and we're so mellow about it now because we're releasing stuff because we want to, not because we have to. And that's a difference. Nobody is, uh, the song's got to come out, dude, or I can't you know, eat tonight. We're established people that have our own careers and, and lives. And this is our hobby. And I always wanted that. I always wanted to just be able to put music out as a hobby and have fun with it. And that's what we're doing. That's basically it. There's no real stress. It's just we're doing everything right. You know, the, the old saying, if I knew then what I knew now. Well, we know now. So we're doing it the right way now. If it hits, cool. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We like the music. So this was a COVID project that you guys did? Yeah, it was. It really was. And in, in fact, it was planned on doing the song before COVID hit, to be honest with you, because I was working on the documentary at the time. So I called everybody and just asked a favor because we have the demo tapes, the old demo tapes from the band. I formed the band in 94 when I left Saigon Kick and we did demos for Atlantic Records and Atlantic Records passed on us. So at that point is when... Um, you know, we went on to other things, but I still had the demos and I thought it would be interesting to let the listeners hear the demo and then we'll re-record it modern and like good. And that's what we did. But it just started this kind of snowball effect of like, hey, I got an idea. Hey, I got this other song. Do you want to sing on this? And before long, we have 14 songs recorded and we had to stop 
writing. It was like, we got to finish this record. There was so many songs and they were outdoing each song. It was crazy. And I've never been in that kind of situation where it was like, every song is great. So we're doing that and we're putting out singles now. That's it. The record is going to come out sometime, you know, in spring if we we do it. But the plan now is to just to do singles. The bass player, Chris McLernan, is producing and mixes it. I direct the videos and edit them. That's what I do as a career. Anyways, so that's what we're doing. We're, we're able to, as professional people, do that. And it costs nothing. That's the great part. To put out Revolution, it costs us $17 instead of 300 grand. You know, we're still paying Atlantic back. I think we owe like 600,000 or something. I don't know. That's crazy. But that's what we do now. That's what technology has allowed us to do. I spent two years learning about technology. That's really what enabled all of us to be able to do this. It's been fun. It's been a good ride. So you guys are putting out this album and all these singles and videos. Are you doing this through a record company or are you just doing it as your own? No, we're doing it ourselves. We have a band camp. We have a website, panicboomband.com, which is our hub as far as you land there and then you can go to all the streaming because Revolution is on every digital streaming platform, you know, YouTube as well. We have Facebook, we have all the social media platforms. And then we have Bandcamp and Bandcamp is for the people who want to buy it. And we sell it for a dollar, you know, and I found that our fans are spending way more than a dollar. It's really kind of cool because they're showing the support and the love for music. We really appreciate that. The other day when somebody bought the song for the first time, I took a screenshot of it and I sent it to the band. I was like, is this exciting? Someone just bought this song. And we were more excited about that than having a hit on MTV because it was like, it's ours. We put it out. Somebody heard it. They liked it and they bought it. That's cool to us. Nobody forced it down their throat. They just heard it and they had a chance to buy it and they chose to buy it. And whether it was a dollar or $20, it doesn't matter. This is the point of it. It's grassroots. We'll do it the old-fashioned way. You you put out a good product, you tell some people, you let them buy it or tell other people. And then as far as I'm concerned, they can have all the music for free. I don't care because you know why they'll end up buying it from us because they want to. And that I love. And that's what's great. That's what I love about a music fan. Because of the Beatles, and I'm a huge Beatles fan, and the song Let It Be, which I believe is the greatest song ever written, period, hands down. But if the Beatles released that now and said, here, you know, pay what you want for it, I would pay for it in two seconds. You know, like I would almost feel bad taking that. It doesn't matter if they're billionaires. It's not the point. The point is, is that if a song moves you, it's art. I really love that fans do that. So that's been a joy. You want to laugh out of a dollar for the song. Between Bandcamp and PayPal, we get about 76 cents, roughly. To split five ways. Still more than what I got from Atlantic Contract. (laughs) Just so you know. (laughs) That's reality. Now, is that your Saigon kit contract? Yeah, that was a Saigon kit contract. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, the good old days. Yep. But I wouldn't change it a bit. It was fun, you know? And now we enjoy. Now that we went through all that, now we get the perks of it, of knowledge and time to do stuff. That's kick-ass. Now, I did ask you way earlier, probably an hour ago, if I could play one of your Saigon Kick songs. And gratefully, thank you. You said, yes, I appreciate that. Can I play Revolution by Panic Boom? Oh, I hope you do. That would be lovely. We would love that.
Did you mention that you're working on a documentary? Yes. It's called 30 Years a Drummer, and that'll be out sometime at the end of the year. Still working on it, but it's uh, basically 30 years covering my career. And it's all going to be fun stories. And again, why we put Panic Boom back together, because these guys are part of my life and they weren't known. And I want to let my fans know about the bands that aren't known, because those bands had just the same impact on me to get me to my career of today. So I'm going to uh, celebrate them and introduce the world to different people that helped me along the way. That is so fascinating. And here's why. You have no way of knowing this. A friend of mine who was also a previous guest, he has been a drummer for 25 years. Mm -hmm. He lived all over the place. I think he's originally from New York and currently he's in Florida. Florida. He wrote a book and I'm reading it right now. This is an unpublished manuscript, but it's exactly what you're saying, except that he never became famous. He had a couple of close calls and some near misses, but it's more about all of the bands and all of the people who turned him into the person that he is today and influenced him. It's exactly what you're saying. And I'm reading this book right now. Yeah. Did you write the book? Not his book, but did you write a book? I have written a book already. It's out. It came out in 13, but not of this. I haven't written my biography, if you will. I'm fortunate that I have every inch of my career on video and pictures. My mother, wonderful woman, Italian, crazy. And I always used to yell at her for taking pictures all the time. I'm like, Ma, put the camera away. No, let me take a picture, Philip. And I'm so happy she did because I have my whole career documented. I find myself yelling at me now. I'm old, Phil. I'm yelling at 20 years old, Phil, and trying to figure out why he's doing the things that he's doing. It's a very interesting, odd experience that I've been going through as I put this doc together. Even though I'm a professional editor, I am not editing this documentary. My friend is doing it because I'm too close. But when I go through the footage, I'm like, no, don't do that. Why don't, don't, you know, and I find myself almost as a dad talking to this kid, Phil, like he's my son. It's a very weird thing. So I thought it would be better to do a video and show it. And I just happened to have it all. I'm very, very grateful that my mother kept on snapping pictures and that I filmed everything as we went, you know, because uh, maybe it was a precursor to me directing and being in the film industry or wanting to be, I should say. So either way, it's going to be fun for the fans because there's some really funny stuff 
all the fun stuff. We know about the girls. We know about all that bullshit drugs. Not that. I'm talking about like your friend wrote that book about the people that impacted us in a positive way that would never be known except if it wasn't for us talking about them, you know, in some capacity, because it's those little things like you asked about the meeting Tommy Lee that impacted my life because he was so cool to me. And it was amazing. That changed things for me. When I met Troy Laketa from Tesla and I was unknown, his time he spent with me, his advice and his respect made me say at that point, if I ever become famous, that's what I'm having to treat my fans. And I later on would meet Troy famous and I would thank him, you know, and say, hey, and he, you know, he didn't remember, of course, because he was just a nice guy. And I told him and we just laughed like, whoa. And I said, you changed my life because the way you treated me is the way I treat my fans. So when I meet a fan, I want to change their life in a positive way. Like, hey, I met Phil. He was a really nice guy. He gave me some time. We talked about drums because that's what Troy did for me. And I'll always have time for that. And I want to show the people along the way that were really there for me. I'm still friends with everybody. My first, the guitar player, Tom Reinhardt, who I thought was going to beat me up. He's my friend. I speak to him, but I have pictures of us in drafting class. Everyone's going to see this stuff. As Gene says, everybody listens with their eyes. So I think it's going to be a good story to tell because I have everything behind it to back it up. It's going to be fun. Gene who? Gene Simmons. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. (laughs) (laughs) I should have. So is there a name for this documentary? It's called 30 Years a Drummer. I'm sorry, you did say that. I apologize. You have some good advertising stuff that I'm doing with some drum magazines. I'm just going to do it uh, through the site. We have 30yearsadrummer.com. So you can go to there if you want to read up on on the movie and, and see a little bit what's going on. I have some bonus footage up there. I have another documentary called Waking Up Dead that came out in 2006. Waking Up Dead, I had a movie company. They dropped the ball and screwed me. So I'm not counting on that anymore. I think the only thing we're going to do is work a deal with Netflix for Waking Up Dead. You can get it through Netflix as a DVD, but it wasn't available streaming. So I think we're working on a deal to get it to stream with the director of that. But this documentary, I'm just going to keep it the grassroots for the fans. And if you want to get it, you can get it as a digital download. And there'll be some perks with that. You know, I'm going to put together a tour book and stuff like that, you know, picture book so they can kind of see a life. I have my first drum set when I was two. I have a picture of me on that. I have my first drum set, you know, when I was 10, I have the drums and you're going to see the progression all the way up to this day. And I have everything documented. That show that I played at the uh, high school, pictures of it, you know, my first show ever. Any music fan, you don't have to know me. and Nobody really knows me, but it's going to be a fun ride. If you like music and you want to see some inside stuff, it's fun. I love that type of stuff. That's why I watch documentaries nonstop. So I think it'll be good for everybody. Well, when I was talking about my friend who's a drummer who wrote the book, yeah, his name is Stephen O'Reilly. He is actually a, a big fan of yours. I reached out to him because I'm not a drummer. And I was like, hey, what do you know about this dude? And he just told me everything. So he's a big fan of yours and he's a really cool dude. And if his book ever does get published, it's called Bar Star. That's a great title. Yeah, it's like Bar Star, no fame, no fortune, no 401k. That's great. That's a really great title. It's a phenomenal book. If it ever does get published and you have a chance to pick it up, I highly recommend it. It sounds exactly like what you're talking about with your doc, except that it's more near misses. 
Right, right. But it's all the same sort of ingredients, and it is just captivating the shit out of me. I love. I love the title. Every good book starts with a title, you know. To me, I, I think that's great. Please give him my best, and I, I wish him the best on that because just on the title alone, I would buy it. No, cool. You know, that's a that's cool. I'll that's tell very him. cool. I'll tell him he's a super cool dude. All right, now, Phil, where did the time go? I don't know. It's been fun though. It has been a lot of fun. I, I had yeah. way more fun than I thought I was going to, considering we don't know each other at all. <laughs> We do now. Oh, we do now. Tell everybody where they can find you personally on social media. Philverone.com is my website on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm real Phil Verone, I think. Don't get it confused with the fake one, but I think it's real Phil Verone. And Philverone.com, again, is like the hub, which is the same with Panic Boom Band. Dot com. So you go to any of that stuff, or you can Google me if you want to see my dick and also give you my social media stuff. So either way, <laughs> it, it all works. Whatever your poison is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Google me if you want to see my dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the great part about having your dick molded, number one was at my girlfriend at the time I was seeing, she wanted to have sex. I was tired. So I just took my dildo out and put it on the pillow. She was not happy about that. And also, I don't feel like sending dick pics anymore. I'm too old. Yeah, just Google it. Just Google it. I don't have the energy. It's the same thing. It's like, I, I'm not going to take pictures of it at different angles. There's 20,000 on there. What you see is what you get. There's a professional photographer ticket. Why would I even try to take that shot? Yeah, I think there's a cutoff. I think after age 55 or something, you can't send your dick pic anymore. I don't know. I have to read the. I'm pretty sure it's like 36, but whatever. <laughs> I don't want to be rude. I'm just trying. To... You should not have a fist fight after 30. No dick pics after 35. I think that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Something like that. Phil Verone. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and your hectic schedule to hang out and let us get to know you a little bit better on Fascination Street, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me. It's been fun. It has been an absolute blast. Everybody, don't forget to Google Saigon Kick Vinyl, and the next one is coming out. July 8th. And then make sure you check out all things Panic Boom. You just heard their new single, Revolution, and they've got a lot more stuff coming, so check them out on Bandcamp. Yep. As well as panicboomband.com. And everybody keep an eye and an ear peeled for that documentary coming later this year, 30 Years a Drummer. And 30yearsadrummer.com if you want to check it up right now. Word. Thank you so much, Phil. You have a great rest of your week, man. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks for having me. Take it easy. Bye. All right. Take care. Opening music is the song Magnolia from the 2001 album Intransigence, used with permission from Douglas Miles Clark. Closing music is from the song Say My Name off the 2021 album Underdog Anthems, used with permission from Jax Hollow. If you like the show, tell a friend. Subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes and wherever else you download podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. All the episodes are available there as well. Check me out on Vero at Fascination Street Pod and TikTok at Fascination Street Pod. And again, thanks for listening.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.